Let's open our Bible to the book of 2 Timothy, the second chapter. We've been teaching Sunday night and Wednesday night, and we pick up with verse 8. We got down to verse 7. We'll read verse 7. And verse 7 says, Paul says, Consider what I say, and the Lord give thee understanding in all things. By the way, the Lord has to give us understanding for us to understand his word. And the Holy Spirit has to open our eyes to see it so that we will understand it. You know, uh, we know nothing of ourselves, but we have to be taught by the Word of God, and the Holy Spirit has to enlighten and illuminate the Word of God. And the Bible tells us that the natural man receiveth not the things of the Spirit of God, for that is foolishness unto them, and neither can he know them, because they're spiritually discerned. I believe that's 1 Corinthians 2, 14. It says, The natural man receives not the things of the Spirit of God. In verse 14, yeah. But the natural man receiveth not the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness unto him, neither can he know them, because they are spiritually discerned. So we say that Paul was telling Timothy, now hold your place in Second Timothy chapter 2. And if I give you references outside of that, well, we, we can always come back to the text that we're studying, because Paul wants Timothy to understand here the things of God. And he says in verse 7, 2 verse 7, Consider what I say, and the Lord give thee understanding in all things. Now look at verse 8. It says, Remember that Jesus Christ of the seed of David was raised from the dead according to my gospel. Now then Paul is not saying that, it, that it's his invention of the gospel, or that it's a gospel that he uh, is the only one that has a priority to. Uh, but he's saying this is the gospel that he preached. And, you know, he said, I declare unto you gospel. Look at 1 Corinthians. Hold your place there now. Look at 1 Corinthians chapter 15 and verses 1 through 4. He says, Moreover, brethren, I declare unto you the gospel. So it wasn't a Paul's gospel in the sense that it was concerning him or even that he had a monopoly upon it. And he says, I declare unto you the gospel which I preached unto you, which also ye have received, and wherein ye stand, by which also ye are saved, if ye keep in memory what I preached unto you, unless ye have believed in vain. For I delivered unto you, first of all, that which I also received. So Paul said he received this gospel. He received it from Jesus Christ. Uh, I also received how that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, and that he was buried, and that he rose again the third day according to the Scriptures. So Paul is again affirming Timothy, holds he place Second Timothy chapter 2, that he is to remember this gospel that Paul had been preaching, and that uh, was the gospel which is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth. And he says concerning this, look at verse 8 again, he says, remember that Jesus Christ of the seed of David was raised from the dead, according to my gospel. It's very important that we realize that he's pointing out that Christ is of the seed of David. And, of course, we know that he said that he's declared to be the Son of God with power, according to the Spirit of holiness, by the resurrection from the dead. Turn to Romans chapter 1, if you will, and it tells us that uh, verse 3 and 4. Well, let's read 1. Down to verse 4. It says, Paul, a servant of Jesus Christ, called to be an apostle. Now look, separated under the gospel of God. So the gospel is mentioned here. But he says, which he had promised before by his prophets in the Holy Scriptures. Now, this gospel of God is concerning, verse 3, concerning his son Jesus Christ our Lord, 
which was made of the seed of David according to the flesh. So he affirms again that this gospel of God is concerning Christ, concerning him who is made of the seed of David. Now, verse 4, and declared to be the Son of God with power, according to the Spirit of holiness, by the resurrection from the dead. In uh, this first chapter of the book of Romans, he shows in verse 1 that God is the author of the gospel. He shows in verse uh, 9 that Christ is the central theme. Notice in verse 9, he says, uh, For God is my witness whom I serve with my spirit in the gospel of his Son. Christ is the theme of the gospel. He shows in verse 15 that this gospel is to be preached. And he shows in verse 16 that this gospel is the power of God. So four times over you find the gospel mentioned in this first chapter of Romans. So when we come back to 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 8, he says, Timothy, remember that Jesus Christ of the seed of David was raised from the dead, according to my gospel, according to that gospel that Paul preached. And by the way, he said that men will be judged by that gospel. Look in Romans chapter 2, if you will. Romans chapter 2 and verse 16. It says, In the day when God shall judge the secrets of men by Jesus Christ according to my gospel. So Christ was raised from the dead according to the gospel that Paul preached. And he's also mentioned here in Romans 2 verse 16 that he's going to judge the secrets of men by Jesus Christ according to my gospel. So back in 2 Timothy, hold your place there where we're studying Verse 8, remember, it doesn't hurt for God's people to be reminded. Paul reminded Timothy, didn't he? And so he says, remember that Jesus Christ of the seed of David was raised from the dead according to my gospel. Now then he goes on further and he says in verse 9, wherein I suffer trouble as an evildoer. Paul was suffering trouble as an evildoer because he preached this gospel. Even unto bonds, but he says, but the word of God is not bound. He suffered trouble by preaching this gospel. But he says the word of God is not bound. There are a lot of references I'd like to give you. First of all, let's notice that I'll just give you a few things about people being bound. John was bound and put in prison because he preached that gospel. Matthew 14, verse 3. Jesus was bound and led away and delivered unto Pilate. That's when they led him away to be crucified. And that's uh, Matthew 27, verse 2. Acts 12, verse 6. Peter was bound with two chains. Remember when Peter was imprisoned? In Acts chapter 12, put in prison. After they had killed James, they put Peter in prison. And he was bound with two chains. And the Lord sent him deliverance. Delivered him out of that prison. Remember after the Lord delivered him out of the prison, he was taken out and he went down and he knocked on the door where they had been praying for him. The whole church was praying for him. They thought they had seen a ghost. And who was it? Kept on praying. Kept on insisting. Let's see. When they when he delivered, it says uh, in verse 13, And Peter knocked at the door of the gate. A damsel came to, the, to hearken named Rhoda. And when she knew Peter's voice, she opened not the gate for gladness, but ran in and told how Peter stood before the gate. Now remember, they had been praying for his deliverance. The whole church had been praying. If you look at verse 5, it says, Peter therefore was kept in prison, but prayer was made by without ceasing of the church unto God for him. They prayed for Peter. And then in verse 15, it says, And they said unto her, Thou art mad. But she continued, constantly affirmed that it was even so. Then said they, It is his angel. But Peter continued knocking, and when the 
they had opened the door and saw him, they were astonished. Isn't it something when God answers a prayer that we're astonished? They were astonished. Every one of them had been praying for him. And it says, But he beckoning unto them with a hand to hold their peace, declared unto them how the Lord had brought him out of the prison, and said, Go show these things unto James and to the brethren. And he departed and went to another place. So, sometimes you better be careful what you ask for. You just might get it. The Lord might do exactly what you have prayed for. It's a wonderful thing to find out that He does from time to time. Really, hear and answer our prayers. But anyway, back to this in 2 Timothy chapter 2. Paul said in verse 9, But the Word of God is not bound. Now then, Paul had brought many bound, many Christians bound to Jerusalem in order to punish them. Acts 22 verse 5. Let me read this for you. Acts 22 and verse 5, and notice what it says here. He's rehearsing what he did. He says, And also the high priest doth bear me witness in all the estate of the elders, from whom I also received letters unto the brethren, and went to Damascus to bring them which were there bound unto Jerusalem for to be punished. So Paul had bound others to bring them for punishment. You know, even though he was saved and called and chosen to be uh, an apostle to the Gentiles, in a sense, he's reaping what he had sown. Sometimes we say, well, you know, he was called to do God's work. Yes, but in doing so, he still reaped what he had sown. Can you see that truth? He had brought people bound to be punished. He had brought, he had brought Christians before he was saved, before he was converted. He was Saul of Tarsus at that time. And he's rehearsing what he did in the days of his evil deeds, which were bound in Jerusalem to be punished. Now look in verse, I believe it's verse 25. Let's see if we can find it. Verse 25, it says, look, from the same chapter, you have Acts 22, verse 25. And it says, And as they bound him with thongs, Paul said unto the centurion that stood by, Is it lawful for you to scourge a man that is a Roman and uncondemned? So they begin to bind Paul again. There are other scriptures that we give you about Paul being bound, but he says, and back to our text, but he says the Word of God is not bound. I want us to notice several scriptures that show us uh, Paul's uh, reference to this in his own life. You have verse 9. He says, Wherein I suffer trouble as an evildoer, even unto bonds, but the Word of God is not bound. First of all, he speaks of himself in uh, Ephesians 6 verse 20 as an ambassador in bonds. Ephesians 6.20. Notice what he says here. He says, For which... I am an ambassador in bonds, that therein I may speak boldly as I ought to speak. So he refers to himself as an ambassador, but it's being bound. Colossians 4, verse 3. Look in Colossians chapter 4 and verse 3, and notice what it says here. He says, With all praying also for us that God would open unto us a door of utterance to speak the mystery of Christ, for which I am also in bonds. So, what he's saying here, that though he was in bonds, he wanted the Word of God, the Word of God is not bound. And so, he wanted to be able to utter the message of the mystery of Christ, or preach the gospel, if we put it that way, to those round about him, even though he was in bonds. In fact, we're going to find other scriptures that show that he did exactly that. Even though he was in bonds, that's why he could say here to Timothy, I'm, a, I'm in bonds, but the word of God is not bound. Look in 
Philippians 1, verse 13 and 14. Philippians 1, verse 13 14. He says, So that my bonds in Christ are manifest in all the palace and in all other places. And many of the brethren in the Lord, waxing confident by my bonds, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. And it appears that uh, Paul had been able to preach uh, and further the gospel even though he was in bonds. In fact, if you look at verse 12 there, if you have uh, Philippians 1 verse 12, he says, But I would you should understand, brethren, that the things which happened unto me have fallen out rather unto the furtherance of the gospel. Even though he was in bonds, he says, The things that happened to me and me being bound have fallen out to the furtherance of the gospel. And he tells that uh, this gospel... Uh, was known in all the palace, in all the place where he was kept there. He was able to be a testimony even though he was imprisoned and even though he was bound. Now then, back in Second Timothy again, and I don't mean to just run you back and forth, but hold that place because it says in verse 9 again, Wherein I suffer trouble as an evildoer, even unto bonds, but the word of God is not bound. Uh, look in uh, Colossians 4, verse 18. Colossians 4, we had Colossians 4, verse 3, but look at 4, verse 18. He says this, The salutation by the hand of me, Paul, remember my bonds. He wanted to be remembered in the condition that he was in, but he wanted to make sure that everyone understood that even though he was bound, God's Word was not bound. give you another reference. Philemon 1, verse 10. Philemon. Philemon, as some say, but Philemon. And it shows you how that Paul still was successful. Notice in 1 verse 10, he says this, I beseech thee for my son Onesimus, whom I have begotten, now look, in my bonds. Whom I have begotten in my bonds. That means that Paul was the means of bringing Onesimus to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ, even though he was bound. He says, whom I have begotten in my bonds. Of course, he's begotten through the gospel, but Paul was the minister that brought the gospel to him. All right? Let's see if I have something else I can give you in that respect. There are many more references. But we need, to, we need as Paul was reminding Timothy, that whatever the situation or circumstances may be in our lives, that God's Word is not defeated. He says, I'm in prison, I'm in bonds, I'm in chains. But he says, God's Word is not chained. It's not bound, because there's no way you can bind God's Word. Remember, God said in the Old Testament that His Word shall not return void, but shall accomplish the purpose whereunto it is sent it. Sometimes you and I fail to realize the power of the Word of God, that beyond you and I, it has power to do what God has purposed it to do. In fact, the Bible says the Word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the dividing asunder of the soul and spirit, of the joints and marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. And it says, Neither is there any creature that is not manifest in his sight, but all things are naked and opened unto the eyes of him with whom we have to do. That's the uh, Hebrews 4, verse 12 and verse 13. So, he says, The Word of God... Wherein I suffer trouble as an evildoer, even unto bonds. By the way, he was an evildoer because he preached the gospel. You know, we usually think of an evildoer as someone that's committed theft or burglary or uh, murder or some heinous crime. 
But he says he's an evildoer because what? He preached. In those days there was a lot of persecution. Thank God that we have the freedom in our nation to preach the gospel. I don't know how long we'll have it, but I hope we continue to have it. But there are some places in the world you cannot do that. Some places the doors are shut. They don't want it in there. Some places you can't take a Bible in. Uh, and uh, we're gradually losing a lot of our freedoms. And you know, if, if our nation doesn't turn back to God, we're going to have to suffer the consequences because actually uh, God is long-suffering and patient. I heard Dr. Stanley preaching this morning on the patience of God. How many of you heard him? Okay. But I have a sermon also on when God's patience wears out. In fact, I could give it to you out of my Bible here. But I won't do that. I'll just mention that I do have a sermon there. And it's uh, patience ran out with the angels at one time and he cast them out of the heavenlies. His patience ran out with the people in Noah's day, in Noah's time, and he destroyed the world by water. And his patience ran out with the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah and he buried them in Asham deep. And uh, his patience ran out with Pharaoh and the Egyptians and he destroyed them in the sea. And uh, his patience ran out with the Jews and Christ. After Christ's death, and one million were slain under Titus, and the temple destroyed in 70 A.D., his patience ran out with Belshazzar. Remember? The handwriting on the wall. Daniel interpreted what that dream meant when old Belshazzar saw the handwriting on the wall. The hand got up there and wrote, Meany, meany, tickled, you farson. He says, Thou art weighed in the balances and found warning. And what happened? In that night, Belshazzar was slain, and the Medes and the Persians took over, just according to that message. The Bible says when he saw that, he's in this kind of a party he was throwing, well, his knees began to knock, and he started shaking. Old Job one time saw something about God, and the Bible says all his hair stood on end. You know, we get all these terms, and we think, well, where did they come from? Look at your Bible. You might, you might find out some things. Hair stood up. So anyway, the thing about it is, God's patience is going to run out one of these days with our wicked world, and if we don't change our ways, we're going to have to suffer the judgment. Back in the Old Testament, he said, put up with the Amorites for a while, because he says, the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet full. But there was a time that the iniquity became full, and God said, cut them off. And you know, God is long-suffering, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. So back to this now. So Paul says, I suffer trouble as an evildoer. But he says, the word of God is not bound. Now look at verse 10. He says, therefore I endure all things for the elect's sake. That means that he wanted to preach the gospel to them, that they may obtain, also obtain, the salvation which is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. It is a faithful saying. For if we be dead with him, we shall also live with him. Look in Colossians 3 verse 3. If we be dead with Him, we shall also live with Him. Colossians 3, verse 3 says, For ye are dead, and your life is hid with Christ in God. It says, And when Christ who is our life shall appear, then shall ye also appear with Him in glory. And then he goes on to say, 2 Timothy chapter 2, follow it on down. If we suffer, we shall also reign with Him. Paul tells us that in the book of Romans chapter 8. If we deny Him, He also will deny us. If we believe not, yet he abideth faithful. He cannot deny himself. Of these things put them in remembrance, charging them before the Lord that they strive not about words to no profit. That means that are not profitable. They're profitable for nothing, with no profit. 
but to the subverting of the hearers. That means to overturn, subvert. And that's what those that strive for in an evil sense of the word. And then he says in verse 15, Study to show thyself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. And this is for every Christian. He's telling Timothy this. Certainly it's for every preacher. It's for deacons. It's for teachers. It's for all of us, for every Christian. Even though he was speaking specifically to, to Timothy to get him to uh, certainly be qualified continuously for the ministry. It doesn't mean you just qualified one time and you forget all about it, you know. He looked back to Timothy and says, Stir up the gift that is in thee. Remember, we've already studied that. He says, The gift that you have, you stir it up. You keep it going. How many of you know you, you got an old wood stove and you got your wood in there, fire burns down, and you got coals there? What do you do? Put some more wood, you stir up those coals, you get them bright and shiny again, and then you put other wood on there and you get it going again, don't you? You have to rekindle and to keep it active and keep it going. Study to show thyself approved unto God. A workman, study is work. It says, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. Let me just tell you that one of the most taxing things for you, physically even, and mentally, and upon your being, is real difficult, continuous study. I've worked with my hands a lot, like most of you have. I've gone out and done carpenter work for 8 or 10 or 12 hours a day, which is too long a day to do that. But on the other hand, and I've been there and done that five days a week, sometimes six days a week when it was necessary. But the, the thing that really taxes you is to get down and really study. Study to show thyself approved unto God, not unto men, but unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. I want you to get your mind on that thought. Rightly dividing the word of truth. Some preacher says, well, I'm going to preach on a message on salvation. All right? And you preach a message on salvation. And you tell people how to be saved. But salvation is more than just the basic message to get people converted. It has to do with not only the past tense of our salvation. You've heard me mention salvation is in three tenses. Past, present, and future. And the Bible says we shall be saved. The Bible says now, listen carefully, now is our salvation nearer than when we believed. I thought we were saved when we believed. We were. Because it says in 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 9, Who hath saved us and called us with an holy calling. That means He's already done it. Well, if it's already done, then how is our salvation nearer than when we believe? Because it's talking about the completion of it. It's talking about the future tense of our salvation. So we have to rightly divide the word of truth. And that's where so many people get confused. They say, well, you know, the Bible says I'm already saved. Well, then how is it that I shall be saved? Different thought. Different category. But you still have the subject salvation, do you not? But it's past, present, and future. He has saved us from the penalty of sin. Listen. Has saved by His sacrificial death. We're being saved from the power of sin by His resurrection life, by the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, by His high priestly intercession on high. So we're being saved. And then we shall be saved from the very presence of sin. When Christ comes again, we're going to be saved from the presence of sin. 
And uh, Paul says in Romans chapter 8, we're waiting for the redemption of our body. We're waiting to it the redemption of our body. He's talking about being saved. Look in Romans chapter 8, if you will, quickly. And we'll point out a thing or two here. The 8th chapter of the book of Romans. Notice it says in verse 21, Because the creature itself also shall be delivered from the bondage of corruption into the glorious liberty of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation, all of God's creation, groaneth and travaileth in pain together until now. And not only they, but ourselves also, you and I as Christians, which have the first fruits of the Spirit. Even we ourselves groan within ourselves. Now why? Waiting for the adoption, to wit, the redemption of our body. For we are saved by hope. But hope that is seen is not hope. For what a man seeth, why does he yet hope for? But if we hope for that we see not, then do we with patience wait for it. So we're waiting for what? The redemption of our body. That's the completion of our salvation. God wants us to be completely, totally saved. Your, your soul is just as, your spirit is just as much saved today as it will be when that redemption of your body comes. But, uh, it has not yet come. And so that's why Paul says in Romans another place, but now is our salvation nearer, what? Than when we believed. Because it's nearer to Christ's coming. It's nearer to completion. We're waiting for it, but it's nearer. And every day that goes by, it's nearer. So, the, Paul is telling Timothy to study, show thyself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, back in 2 Timothy 2, verse 15, rightly dividing the word of truth. I love that, rightly dividing. That's what we're talking about, the word of truth. Putting everything in its proper category and thought. Not mixing it all up, but rightly dividing. Making it clear and plain as to what it's talking about. You know, if you go, by the way, this is a recent experience. <laughs> if you go into a restaurant... They bring your food out. And uh, you know what they do usually? If you order something that has, you know, they'll say it's covered or smothered in gravy or covered with gravy. You know why they do that? They give you the sorriest piece of meat that they can find. And they cook it in the most terrible way. And then they cover it over with gravy so you won't know what's under there. You see, that's why I like to see it plain. And I want my gravy on the side. And I want everything divided separately. They say, well, you're going to mix it up anyway. Well, let me do the mixing. You just put it separate. You put everything in its proper tray. How would you like it if you went into a restaurant and they served you steak and potatoes and, and they piled them all together and put some green beans on top of that and then poured gravy over all that and then said, well, we've got to have their dessert and put your dessert right on top of that and say, here it is. Everything you order is right here. I'd say, you know, just wait a minute. I'll take some hamburger. I'll take a hamburger and some fries. Just forget it. So listen, the thing about it is, God's word is not to be just all muddled together without any making any sense or any division. It says rightly dividing the word of truth, and you have to do that in almost everything in God's word, or it will be very confusing. That's why people say, well, you know, the Bible contradicts itself here to what is said over there. Well, maybe you just haven't put it in the right part of the plate. Maybe you, maybe you have it mixed up a little bit. And therefore, you can't understand what it's all about. So, 
He says, study to show thyself approved unto God, a workman that needs not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. And then he says, but shun profane and vain babblings, for they will increase to, unto, notice this word more, circle it, more ungodliness. Profane and vain babblings are, are ungodly anyway. But it says they will increase unto more ungodliness. See, there's no end to what is uh, sown when you have profane and vain babblings. And he says, shun those things. Shun profane and vain babblings, for they will increase unto more ungodliness. Now look at verse 17. And their word will eat as doth a canker, like uh, gangrene. It keeps on growing and taking advantage of the body. It's in the leg or foot or arm or wherever it may be. It'll just keep on going until finally the hole is eaten up with it. It says, their word will eat as a canker. That's what it actually means. Of whom, of whom is Hymenius and Philetus, who concerning, now look, here's how it eats, who concerning the truth have erred, saying that the resurrection is past already, and overthrow the faith of some. Remember, he said back there in verse 14, to the subverting of hearers, or overthrowing, to overturn. And these people that had erred in what they understood, you know what the word err or erred is to miss the mark. To err is to miss the mark. And it says they've missed the mark as far as the truth of the resurrection is concerned, who concerning the truth have erred, uh, saying that the resurrection is past already. And what by, by this false teaching, it says, and overthrow the faith of some. When you have people that are doing things like that, in Paul's day they were doing that, and Paul is warning Timothy, he says, by doing this, they will overthrow the faith of some people. Brethren that are weak in the faith, he tells us in the book of Romans, receive ye, I believe it's 14 verse 1, possibly. But he says, him that is weak in the faith, receive, but not to doubtful disputations or disputings. You receive a weak brother in order to strengthen them and to build them up in the faith. But you do not receive a weak brother just to argue, let him argue with you about things that he does not understand. If, if he claims he already knows everything, then you can't teach him anything. You can't teach a man something that he thinks he already knows. So he has to admit that I want to know. It's like the, uh, when uh, Philip joined himself to the chariot of the Ethiopian eunuch. Uh, he says, Understandest thou what thou readest? And the eunuch says, How can I unless some man would guide me, some man would show me? And the Bible tells us that Philip began at the same Scripture and preached unto him Jesus. And he was preaching from the 53rd chapter of Isaiah. Say, well, that was the Old Testament. Yes, but he preached in them Jesus. Because in Isaiah 53, it says, He's led as a lamb to the slaughter, as a sheep before his share is dumb, so he opened not his mouth. And he applied that to Jesus. And this he spake of Jesus. And, and uh, Philip uh, opened him the Scriptures, and he understood that it was Jesus that he's speaking about. So, notice this again. 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 18, who concerning the truth have erred, saying that the resurrection is past already, and overthrow the faith of some. See, some people can, their faith can be very disturbed by false teaching. So, that's why uh, James says, be not many masters. Because he says, we shall receive the greater condemnation. Be not many teachers. Be not many masters. 
because there's a greater responsibility on those of us who are teaching the Word of God than to just merely get up and teach and preach anything that comes to our mind. We have to rightly divide the Word of truth or we're going to be held responsible before God. This preaching of the Word is serious business. It's not to be taken lightly. Because the faith of some can be overthrown. And that's what verse 18 says. Now look at verse 19. It says, Nevertheless, nevertheless, in spite of false teaching, in spite of profane and vain babblings, in spite of how many have done the wrong thing, in verse 19 he says, Nevertheless, look at verse 19, Nevertheless, the foundation of God standeth sure, having this seal, the Lord knoweth them that are His, and let everyone that nameth the name of Christ depart from iniquity. What's he saying here? That God's foundation is sure in spite of all the false teachings. It says, the Lord knoweth them that are His. Those that belong to Him, we have that they are founded upon the Word of God. That it's God's foundation that stands sure. And it has this seal. What is the seal? That God knows who they are. And then the second part of this verse says, And let everyone that nameth the name of Christ, if you've made the profession of faith, depart from iniquity. I like the twofoldedness of this verse. Look at it again. Nevertheless, the foundation of God standeth sure, having this seal. Look at it now. The Lord knoweth them that are His. Say, my, that's wonderful. God knows who belongs to Him, and, and if we belong to Him, He knows. But then what does He say is our responsibility? And let everyone that nameth the name of Christ, if you profess to be His, what? Depart from iniquity. This tells us that we're not to live in sin. That we have a responsibility to live for the Lord if we profess the, if we profess the name of Christ. So there's a twofoldness in this verse of Scripture. Remember we've given you, and you can turn over a couple of pages to Titus, if you will, chapter 2, and I've quoted to you many times. It says in verse 11, just turn over a page probably in your Bible, maybe two, maybe not. But it says... In Titus 2, verse 11, For the grace of God, look at this, that bringeth salvation hath appeared unto all men. Now look what it says. What does this grace that has appeared unto all men do? It says, Teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lust, we should live soberly and righteously and godly in this present world. Well, the grace that saves you, what does it do? It teaches you how to what? How not to live and how to live. It teaches us to deny ungodliness and worldly lust. And it says, and to live, that we should live soberly and righteously and godly in this present world. And it goes on to say, looking for the Savior, looking for that blessed hope. But soberly, we've summed it up before you time and time again, soberly is inwardly, righteously is outwardly, and godly is upwardly. So we have to learn how to live before God ourselves. Our life is before God. And then with others, righteously, outwardly. And then upwardly, that's heavenly. So it says soberly. And if we cannot live with ourselves, then we have a problem trying to, to be an example to others. You've heard others say, well, you know, if I do this or that, nobody else will know it. But you will know it. And it will affect your life, whether anyone else knows anything about it what you do or not do. You'll know what you do. You'll know what you don't do. And it's very important we learn to live soberly 
and then righteously. It's very important that we learn to live outwardly toward others, and then godly. And by the way, everything we've already said is before God. Let me give you a verse of reference here. I won't get too far from the subject, but look in Luke's Gospel, chapter 1, if you will. Luke, chapter 1, in verse 74. Luke 1, 74. That He would grant unto us, now look at this, that we being delivered out of the hand of our enemies might serve Him without fear. Now look, in verse 75. In holiness and righteousness, now circle the word, before Him all the days of our life. Before Him. So how do we live? We, have, we live in holiness and righteousness before Him. And that word before Him is a very important two words to put together. And you find it many times uh, in the Scriptures as you follow along. We could give you several places, but that will suffice for now. But back in our text, look at it again. In Second Timothy chapter 2, in verse... Uh, 19, we'll have to close with this. It says, Nevertheless, the foundation of God standeth sure, having this seal, the Lord knoweth them that are His. You remember Jesus said, My sheep hear My voice, and I know them, and I give them to them eternal life, and they shall never perish. And then it says, And let everyone that nameth the name of Christ depart from iniquity. And it'll explain some things as we pick up with verse 20 in our next next lesson, but you can see the twofoldness of that 19th verse. We'll pick up with verse 20 in our next lesson.